Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred two point three FM Riverside and one hundred five zero AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren, hosting the show um, from the West Coast, and on the East Coast, we have Mr. Uh, David Martino. I am here, riding shotgun once again. Yeah, and I'm being real nice. See. You are. Well, I was told <laughs> not to pick on you anymore. Not be mean. Well, listeners are listening, and they they think I'm. What mean. fun is that going to be? I know. Well, forget it. That won't last long. Don't worry about <laughs> no, it. I, no. I can't can't take that. Please, please. Someone's got to push you down in the mud. That's right. Step on me. <laughs> Step on you. Call your names. Well, <laughs> interesting world we live in, and it gets more and more that way every day. But to think that all the bad stuff happened today, you'd be mistaken, because it, it's been going on for since men have been on Earth. So, That's right. And today we are going back in history a little bit, and we're going to be talking uh, with the author of the book called The Seer. And um, it's about February 1942, and war gripped the world. So, Eva Shaw, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. Well, we'll see if you're happy at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you if I'm not. How's that? <laughs> well, well, you know, go for it. It's all, it's all good. Listen, uh, so <laughs> before we get into the book, um, you've got quite the history in writing and writing things and teaching writing, it looks like, and giving advice and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. So, But where did it start for you? How did you um, choose such a career as this? Well, like most writers, uh, I long dreamed to be a writer. I started with the Teddy Bear Trilogy when I was eight 
eight years old, and I don't know how I learned the word trilogy, and there were never part two and three. But I do remember that and longed for it. My parents were around during the Great Depression, and they just did not encourage me to be a writer. I'd never make a living. I'd starve to death, blah, blah, blah. So I went to university, you know, got a paying job. But every job I had, I just... After about three months, I mean, I stuck it out, please don't misunderstand, <laughs> because we had a family to feed, but um, didn't really enjoy it and kept telling people I wanted to be a writer when I grew up. And then one day, I just got tired of hearing myself saying I wanted to be a writer, and I realized that a person who waits and waits to become a writer is not a writer. That person is a waiter. I wanted to be a writer, published or not. If I write, I'm a writer. And I used the business skills that I had acquired doing HR and a whole bunch of other jobs that were very interesting and low-paying and jumped in and um, all those business skills that my parents encouraged me to acquire were very helpful because I am a working writer, as you said I teach writing classes, I ghostwrite, I write my own books, and um, every day is amazing, and I just cannot get over that people actually pay to read my words, pay me to write for them. This is the best gig ever. Wow, you fooled them, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, I can't say any nanny nanny to my parents because they passed away a long time ago. Oh. But they would be very proud, I know. Um, it's just different times. And I think with the pandemic, we've all stepped back a little bit and said to say, what is really important? Let's And back to more basics. And that's why I truly encourage people who want to be writers, not waiters, but writers, to write the book that's in their heart and just do it, whether that's a how-to book or a memoir or, in my case, this new novel. Or you could write a book, How to Be a Waiter. I did that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm teasing you. It's Procrastination 101. I am extremely disciplined and have schedules and get my work done so that I can do other fun things because I really, truly do enjoy life. Yeah, but how do how do you know? But how do you turn it on? Because there is there is technique to writing. There's also style. There's also uh, you know the knowledge, the research. You, you know, and then there's the story. But how do you turn on the um, let's say the literary, the, the the emotional part of writing? The creative juice. Yeah, huh? yeah. Um, I think it takes practice. A a step that many writers, emerging writers, not published ones, but emerging writers skip is to read in their genre. And, of course, genre is just a fancy word for category. But um, if I, you know, this newest novel is a historical mystery. If I were writing, uh, reading science fiction all the time, I wouldn't have the same focus as if I were also reading historical fiction. It's very important to read in our genre, and I'm not talking about plagiarizing by any stretch, but by reading 
the brain absorbs how characters are developed, how dialogue is used to sketch scenes and to reveal secrets, and the formatting that is popular. If I were reading the, just the classics, let's say I was a Shakespeare groupie, um, I would have a different, totally different slant on what is marketable today. Right. So again, it goes back to the business aspect, I think. Yeah. Would you ever have a problem then? Like, <clears throat> because if you schedule your time, I'm very structured, and I do that sort of how you say, you know, I'll set, oh, I've got three hours, I've got to get this done, this done, and I'm very structured and all that stuff. But sometimes mm -hmm. sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm going, well, yeah, this is just an this isn't working. You know, oh, this, yeah. You know, and <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so you kind of go, what do you do then? Like, is there, like, you know? Well, what, and that happened to me yesterday. I'm working on a sequel to The Seer, and I'm about a good, good third of the way into the novel, and I thought, I don't know where this book is going. <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> happening. I am lost here. So when that happens, uh, I know... You know, many things. I'm tired. Um, I don't have enough research. Or I just need to take a break. I'm not a bad writer. I don't have writer's block. One of those things is happening. And as I tell my online students, if the water heater's leaking and the cat keeps throwing up on the carpet and your car is making a funny noise, you're not going to write well. So take care of those things take care of the things you can and then carve out a chunk where you a chunk of time where you can write hmm. and so yesterday afternoon when i realized i didn't know where this novel was going i stepped away had a glass of water walked i live in uh the san diego area walked around in the garden um picked up a few roses and um just kind of got my mind back to it. Then about an hour later, I came back, I read some parts of the novel, and then I added more to the story, and it suddenly the characters came to life to, uh, to me again. Would they have if I just sat here and pushed it? I don't think so. I think I would have just written more drivel. Yeah. Yeah, and that's important. I think that uh, your mind has to be in the right place. Um, yeah, and and sometimes um, it's because we're hungry or we're tired or we're even waiting for one of those ghastly, disgusting test results coming back from a doctor for us or a loved one, and uh, we can't write, and that's okay. If we were, I always think if, because I've worked in enough offices, as you guys have, I'm sure, if we worked in an office, we would have break time, a colleague would come over and chit-chat, we'd go for lunch, all those things. So as writers who sit in our own little world <laughs> staring at a computer screen <laughs> or a yellow tablet, uh, we need to give ourselves breaks and be kind to ourselves and nurture ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave could learn all these things, you know. He, yes. He, you know, he's got to take care of his cat. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I have a demanding little Welch Terrier. Oh, my gosh. I, I've adopted uh, senior dogs, senior Welch Terriers for years because when they finish in the show ring, they need a forever home. And then I, ha I adopted a puppy, and I, it's like having a toddler. I'm just into everything and doesn't take no for an answer. So I'm learning, and she's getting 
to have better manners. Mm, good luck. <laughs> I've got two of them, so I know. I know. Uh, yeah, I am a terrier person, so I will do this, even though she did get kicked out of puppy kindergarten. She was playing yeah. too rough. that's a terrier for you they'll push the envelope Um, how do you choose what you want to write about so like in this book for instance you went to the seer and this is about uh, something from February 42 you got the war you've got Asian hate you've got a lot of stuff going on in this stuff but what what actually tunes you into that kind of a story well, I have been ghostwriting for an incredible gentleman um, in New Orleans, uh, not in politics, uh, for a long time, and I've been his friend and colleague for even longer. And so on my many trips pre-pandemic uh, to New Orleans, um, he, he and his incredible wife would we'd drive around town. They'd point out things. They'd tell me the history. They've, their families had been there forever. And... Um, I have truly grown to love the city, so much history, and it's against the law to serve a bad meal in New Orleans. I don't know if you mm. gentlemen have been there, but, yes. oh my gosh, the estafet, the gumbo, oh, <laughs> I could just eat myself silly. And um, I loved the history, the colonial history, and the buildings, and the French Quarter, and um, the even the classes of society are so fascinating. The people are really friendly. Um, and my um, colleague and ghostwriter there is very involved in the National World War II Museum, which is a not-to-be-missed museum. And so often we would meet there. There were events there. And I've always been a student of history, not degree, but just curious and a student. And... I liked that time period to set a novel because there weren't the uh, fancy electronic ways of no Google. Yeah, <laughs> no Google in <laughs> 1942. People actually had to ask questions and try to resolve issues and talk to one another without just popping things in and on the Internet. And I, I find that fascinating for a book. So... Since I love New Orleans and I loved World War II, my mind just kind of went, and I knew that people in New Orleans and and throughout the American South were concerned because there were U-boats in um, the Caribbean. And um, one of the theories was that German submarines would come up the Mississippi and invade the city. And New Orleans was a real transportation hub and manufacturing hub during the war. And also uh, there were concerns that the Nazis would take over the Panama Canal, truly crippling uh, the U.S. and North America. And all of these things came about, and I thought, what if somebody is hired by the government who pretends she's a psychic? And no, she isn't. I'm not giving the plot away, gentlemen, so it's okay. Um, that how would she get involved, and where would the story go, and could one person have an effect on the war? Could one person help the war effort? And my writing, 
um, as opposed to others who just sit down and let it pour out, I have to kind of let the plot and the characters percolate in my brain for about, well, about three months. And I don't write anything. I'll be reading in my genre, and I, I'm working as a ghostwriter and teaching. But in the back of my mind was Beatrix Patterson and her colleague, Dr. Thomas Ling, and where all this tension would happen. And I'm very curious as to why people lie. Um, and, yes, I have a doctorate, but I'm not that smart, not like some of your other <laughs> guests have just blown me away. But I'm curious as to why people lie to keep them from embarrassment, to show they're smarter, to get something. And um, Beatrix, the protagonist, does have a real huge sad backstory and I had to get this through my mind and let it come together before I was ready to write and then when I sat down it only took me three years <laughs> so, <laughs> <What was> that <laughs> all? that's all oh. but I have to tell you it wasn't sitting for three years straight I do have ghostwriting in my other books and teaching to do I was going to say you're probably just out there playing <laughs> with the dog and doing your nails yeah. I've never taught her to play fetch, even though YouTube videos swear that I can teach her. She refuses, so yeah. <laughs> I'm no. not doing well. <laughs> That's okay. But, but you know, um, when you when you tackle a story like this, um, you know, and I've done some stories back from the 20s, um, you've really got to know the time. Like how people acted, Absolutely. how they, what the, you know, the kinds of sayings they that, that they used, the slang words, the way people behaved, and like you were talking about the fear of the Nazis taking over the Panama Canal, or you know, they, all the different things, you have to really kind of get into that that time period, and and Absolutely. really understand it. So research must be a big part of this. It is, and um, I started writing back pre-internet days when you had to go to the library and have books <laughs> and look through microfiche. Um, but every time I used a slang word in the book, I Googled it to make sure that that slang word was, was used during this time period. If I had the protagonist have a put a snood on her hair, which is like a fishnet um, hair covering haddish thing i wanted to make sure that women actually use this and they did and in one part um beatrix needs a hat pin and although women did not use hat pins at that time she keeps it because it belonged to a great aunt so it's a sentimental value otherwise she would not have had a hat pin so it's those little things that when i'm reading a novel if they don't ring true, I just, I, I get really upset with the author, actually. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. No, I mean, it bothers yeah. me. If, even if I'm watching a movie or something that's mm. time-dated, and all of a sudden they'll say things that people talk like today, and it's just like... Like it, Far Out Man. Yeah, yeah, and it totally, <laughs> yeah, and it totally drives me nuts. It's like, that's not how people talked or how they behaved. I mean, that's it, it takes me out of the 
out of the story. I quite often lose interest because I'm focused mm-hmm. on what they're doing wrong, and then I kind of that, that. So it really bothers me. I think it's really important. You have to go to the library and check out the the small fish, the micro fish. <laughs> <laughs> That's for the young listeners because they don't have a clue what you're talking about. So no, I know it, it's a secret code. <laughs> yeah, it's a secret code. They got little yeah, fish floating like, around in the tanks in in these buildings they yeah, call libraries. F-I- yes, um, and I swear there is a retired librarian in, in Bangor, Maine, who reads everything, and he or she sees a discrepancy like that and makes a big stink about it and writes my editor and. T- yeah. <laughs> the New York Times and yeah. no te- te- teasing aside, those like you said, those are the things that um, I feel strongly must be um, clarified. Otherwise, the whole story is weakened. Um, now I knew that uh, there were various POW camps in the U.S. on in. Um, but I didn't know the extent of it. And then I heard on one of my visits to New Orleans about a POW camp across the river, the Mississippi, locally they call it the river, across the river from New Orleans in a small town called Algiers, which is a lovely community these days. But in 1942, it was like a low working class community and um the government established a POW camp there where innocent um, Germans from uh, that had fleed the Nazis and settled in uh, South America and Central America were just kind of rounded up thinking they were spies by an illegal program for the government and sent there. And along with them were Nazi uh, sympathizers. So this little obscure POW camp, as I learned through research, um, was actually flying the swastika during World War II because the inmates supposedly wanted that. And a number of things that I unearthed really surprised me, and and I don't believe in Wikipedia. Uh, I might read it. <laughs> like, didn't, didn't the Supreme Court say, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it? So that's... Um, <laughs> Sort of what I feel about uh, Wikipedia. I start there, and then I, if I ever use it, I validate their sources. But I dug deeper. I talked with local historians, and New Orleans has a boatload of museums so and historical mm. societies. So that was very helpful. But I am fascinated by the workings of the world, and uh, one of the things I wanted to do and took uh, literary um, permission here, is to include some historical figures and fictionalize them in my book. Hence, um, Eleanor Roosevelt shows up in the book, which I thought was a lot of fun. Mm. Hmm. Well, how do you get into the mind of those uh, historical characters and, and portray them fictionally? And this sounds psychotic. (laughs) 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 Or maybe I already do. I don't know. But um, I ask some questions, and I ask Mm. them to talk to me. What would you do? How are you feeling? Why did you do this? Why are you doing that? And if they get huffy, that's even better. I once gave a program 
uh, at a university on this, talking to characters, and a psychiatric nurse came up to me afterward, and he said, "Honey, if you're thinking, if you're talking to imaginary people, you need some help." <laughs> <laughs> so you actually hear voices. You you transcribe. I actually them. hear voices yeah. in my you head. <laughs> oh come on, you do too. <laughs> I certainly do. Al doesn't understand. No, no, but you know the thing is, don't don't get mixed up because Dave hears voices and he starts doing really weird things. Okay. Yeah, that, well, that's true. <laughs> he was singing and dancing in New Orleans, so come on. And believe oh, me, that's not pretty. No, it's not. No, I have it on video. Yes. No. But yes, and I need to, even though I may not use characters' backstories, um, I need to know them. I need to know who they were and what they like to do, and maybe even their favorite ice cream flavor, that kind of stuff. I, I sometimes make lists, but most of the time I just have an incredible memory, and I remember this stuff. So it's mm. kind of spooky in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, I think it's really important, too. I don't think people realize um, how much of a hold um, the Nazis had, even in the U.S., you know, with Ford and... GM Standard Oil and uh, you know what the Lindbergh and and, and uh-huh. he was so uh-huh. popular and there was a lot of support for Nazis then. I, I, there's so much. I think that time period is fascinating, and there's so much you can learn. And um, so I think it's great that you go back into this and hopefully some younger people, you know, can can get into this sort of story and and realize what was really going on. Yes, because it it is. If I were like one of my grandkids, it's ancient history. But for me, I remember some of the stories. My parents passed away quite young, and when I was young. But I remember some of the stories they would tell, especially about rationing and blackout curtains and how cities would try to dim their lights because they were so afraid of um, invasion or or the bombings, the shelling, as was happening in London. Right. I, and I'm I'm interested in seeing how many books currently there are about World War II. I was just at Costco this morning, and I didn't buy any books today, but I <laughs> 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 <Almost> did. <laughs> I never Costco. hesitate. Bu- yeah, never hesitate buying books. I support my industry, <laughs> so yeah. I always do. Wow. But it's um, it's fascinating that history is coming to life, even if it's in novels, and um, it won't be lost in that way. Yeah. No, I find it, I find it really interesting. It intrigues me that, because uh, you can start, start to see similarities um, from back then to nowadays and how people uh-huh. act and react, and a lot of that is because people are totally unaware of what our history was just even 100 years ago. Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm also fascinated by the American Civil War, and I, if I were to get, and that's not where my next novel is centered. But if I were to guess, I would think that that would be a hot topic, especially with the unfortunate <laughs> confliction of race relations going on, yeah. and um, even the politics of our day are so similar in many ways. It's shocking. Yeah, yeah, I, I I find it that way too. It's a, it's a little alarming at times, you know. Um, Beatrix Patterson, like who is that person? Beatrix Patterson is a fake psychic who gets hired by the government to flesh out 
Nazi cells and saboteurs, and she knows she's not a fake. She knows she's a fake, but she's really good at reading people. And I think I'm not as smart as Beatrix. <laughs> she's a whole lot smarter <laughs> and prettier than I am. But um, I love to meet. I'm fascinated with people. I try to guess their stories. I love it that they. I'm standing in line at the grocery store, and people will spark up conversations, or children will talk to me. It's people are so weird, and I love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so Beatrix is scarred, literally and figuratively, because of a past event in her life, and she's attempting to find the truth while she is lying to everyone, which is a, a fascinating um, comparison and right. a puzzle. And I really, I, someone read uh, the book and said that I was just like her colleague, Dr. Thomas Ling. And I thought, well, that's funny. He's kind of rash. He jumps to conclusions. He's got a good kind of snarky sense of humor. Maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> How much of you gets into Beatrix? But do you, I mean, I, I guess I talk to a lot of fiction writers, and a lot of fiction okay. writers, some of them, you know, quite often they'll say they're, uh, they're, there's some of them in every character. I agree with that, and I think the reading people and uh, trying to figure out what their stories is and reading their face and looking for microfacial um, clues, you know, do, the, do their pupils dilate, their forehead. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Sort of like the tell in poker, I understand. But um, I don't play poker so i don't know that but um it's i'm i'm fascinated with how much people how much is revealed by just looking at people i love to travel and i've had the blessing to travel a lot and i love looking at people's shoes when i travel okay it sounds weird <laughs> but um I was blown away about how incredibly trendy shoes were in Scandinavia a couple of years ago. Oh, my goodness. People look, you know, they were wearing T-shirts and jeans, but, wow, their shoes were something else. So you can read a lot when you um, uh, look at people and um, see their expressions and how they're talking. And, I'm again, I'm very curious always why people extend the truth, i.e. lie, or just flat-out lie. And that's what um, Beatrix is doing, but she's surrounded by a lot of other liars. So she's curious about it, too. So to answer your question, yeah, I think I'm a lot like Beatrix. <laughs> that was the long answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering with Beatrix or with any of your other characters, um, have you ever had a character do anything to surprise you? They just go kind of go off the rails? Oh, yes, and it shocked <laughs> me. Uh, actually, it just happened uh, the other day in this new book I'm writing. Um, and one of the characters turns out to be an undercover police officer breaking up a prostitution ring. And I thought she was a prostitute. So, boy, oh. howdy, that one slapped by me. Um and I love it when that happens. Years back, I was writing another novel, uh, Games of the Heart. They got to be number three on Amazon for a good 15 minutes. And um, <laughs> uh, one of the characters takes a bullet for this woman. And I thought, well, he's a, he's, you know, he's a no-gooder. He's a loud two-timing cheater. No wonder he did it. But it turned out, as he told me in my head, that he really loved the woman. And um, that's why he saved her life. And it was like, wow, who are you? <laughs> They're all tricksters, again, right? <laughs> oh, yes. And again, if you don't listen to your characters in their head and don't believe them when they're talking to you or, or mm. giving you hints or, or even letting the story flow a little bit without being structured, um, I think writers miss this. And, yeah, yeah, I can fall down a rabbit hole just like the next person and come out and say, oh, that was a wasted half hour. So when you're putting this story together and that, do you have something that you want people to get out of the book, like other than the story itself? Like you talk about the characters and you talk about, the, you know, what's going on around them. Is there, is there some sort of underlying subtext that you hope people pick up? Well, I hope 
that people are kind to one another. We're all, we don't know the misery that other people are feeling inside. And that that's an excellent question. First time any interviewer has asked me. So you, you stopped me there for a moment. But I'm, I'm wearing a <laughs> Be Kind t-shirt right now, so I guess I believe it. Um, but yes, we are all fighting our own internal battles. And we've all had heartache. And we don't know if that person who cuts you off in traffic has just experienced the death of their child or if they're just being a butthead. Um, but give people some wiggle room because we're all fighting our own battles. And that's what these characters, all of them, even the nasty ones, are doing. And um, if there is a takeaway, that's what I hope it would be. And speaking of a takeaway... Um, 50%, excuse me, 50% of the profits from the book I'm giving to an organization called Days for Girls International, and it provides sanitary products for girls and women in third world and underserved nations who can't go to school, they can't work, uh, they're set away when they're having their periods, and therefore they live in poverty. And by this simple change that Days for Girls is doing internationally, uh, women are getting careers and they're getting educations. And so it's truly a human rights issue, and I feel very strongly. And Beatrix Patterson is a strong woman. She might be little, but she's strong. And um, I think that she would highly uh, recommend that listeners and those who are concerned with human rights issues look into this organization and i've known the uh founder forever and it truly is bare bones there's no overhead and so when somebody buys a book they know that it's going to a good cause well that's a good thing that's great mm. that's good it's nice when people do things to help others you know because uh you're fortunate enough to be able to to write books even and, and yes. to get them out there yeah you know? and again all of us have our hidden battles and our hidden terrors and worries and and you know just give the next person a little bit of wiggle room because he or she is fighting some bigger battles than we can even imagine yeah i mean i it's terrible trying to find a good pair of shoes oh i know it's just a bitch <laughs> <laughs> Actually, well, see. I, I, I prefer flip-flops, but thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. As you get older, it doesn't matter. As much, right? Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I no, I grew up in California, and I remember as a child having to put on shoes to go back to school, and oh, my gosh, it was painful. So, yeah, it's a California <laughs> thing. Yeah. Now, it, it, So when you are in that lineup at Costco and some, <laughs> some mean guy cut, you know, butts in and it's really rude and and, uh -huh. and that to you do you take that person's personality or character and use it in one of your characters in your books i certainly could <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and maybe don't cut me off in line <laughs> yeah i was gonna say because that's what you know jd horn one of the new york times writers that i interview and he say he was like yeah if someone's rude to him he takes them and in fact he puts them in there and he'll he'll make sure that they have a bad death even so oh, I like it's like, yeah, and I was like, yeah. well, that's pretty interesting. I, so I just, I was in line this morning talking to the checker behind our 
plastic guard, and um, we were discussing ramen noodles, actually, and she said, I said, I have never met a noodle I haven't liked, and she said she has a friend who considers herself a noodle whore because she loves them so much, and I thought, you know, gentlemen, that's a line that's got to go in a book. It is. That's really, you know, but that's, you know, we get so many great ideas from people around us, right? I know. Mm-hmm. We just eavesdrop, you know? <laughs> or well, is that, is yeah. that sort of kind of what you think a job of a writer is, is to kind of represent what's going on around us in, in society, kind of? It, I think so. Whether you're in journalism or writing fiction or writing a memoir, absolutely. There's information you want to share and so you need to know who your reader will be so that information can be tailored to that person um it's sort of i I don't write for children but if i were writing um a early reader book i wouldn't use some great giant words because that's not fair to them so absolutely and again that's why it's so important to read in the genre that you want to write in yeah yeah, it makes a difference. It, it, you kind of pick up how, how it's done and pick up things that you like about uh, reading certain styles, yeah. right? Yes. Who do, who do you, well, who's your big influences, or who do you like to read? I write for Mary Jane Peters in Kankakee, Illinois. She's not a real person. Hi, Mary Jane. And um, <laughs> she loves the kind of books I love. She's got 2.5 children. I don't want to have that point five child actually that's probably my puppy um and she's concerned about the environment she's concerned about the world in which her children will grow up she's concerned about her marriage and her education and her life and her aging parents and the pandemic she's got the same concerns i have because i i'm not anybody special i just have a desire to write and share my work. So I write for her. I write for, um, but I also do not exclude her husband if he wants to read this book. It's not just a chick book, um, because I do tackle some big topics. And um, as with my other books, um, I want to get it out there and have people say, oh, that's what it was about. The first book I wrote was about black market babies, but it was selling them and reselling them. And um, yet it was filled with humor. At least people laughed. <laughs> and I laughed. <laughs> and um, so I do tackle big topics, but I want to tackle in a way that there's a story behind it and it's more memorable. But does, does that concern you, like, um, in today's world, where social media is all over the place, we're all connected, and, and all this stuff's going on, um, and things are pretty, um, I don't know, how do you, I guess people call it woke, you know, whatever, but but there's a, um, a real idea to be, um, to be proper, I guess. Does it concern you when you cover these topics that they could be a bit sensitive to people reading these days yes it really does um i'm i was concerned that um in the book uh dr ling is chinese but 
everyone at that time was fearful of Japanese because, of course, Pearl Harbor had just been bombed. It was a different time. How do I take that fear and not uh, say anything disparaging against uh, Japanese-American citizens? Or there's an African-American um, character, and I wanted to show his heart, even though he's a big, burly guy. I I wanted to get into the humanity of the character, not just what they looked like on the outside. So I tried to bring that to light early on so that people would see, okay, different time, different place, different standards. We can't judge by that now, although we do. We do judge by it. And even yeah. Beatrix, as a psychic, would be... Um, uh, thought down upon in many circles and today look poor miss cleo she hasn't been on television in a long time the tv psychic uh <laughs> i don't even i hope she's still alive um no but, she died oh no oh, oh I, yeah she did yeah that's why yeah, she sorry. didn't return to my phone calls right <laughs> that's right. <laughs> she's she's just not able to reach you from oh, yeah, she she's not available right now <laughs> yeah yeah, Absolutely, and that's a good question. And in the new book, I um, am bringing up the discrimination of indigenous, Amer indigenous Americans, the Chumash Indians from Santa Barbara area. And um, I, want, I need to do it in a way that's um, transparent. And there's a reason for it in there. And um, I think that by... Opening up these topics, I hope there can be discussion about it. And in the seer, the discussion about the internment of the Japanese Americans was right out there, and the characters are horrified by it, um, senseless. But then they say, well, this country's doing that, and England's rounding up Italians, and it's just a fearful time, sort of like the beginning of the pandemic. And I knew somebody who was so afraid of uh, the virus, she washed money in the washer. It came through okay. Wow. Um, but <laughs> um, when we don't have facts and information, uh, we as humans become fearful. Well, I'm wondering, after, um, after writing, in between writing and teaching, um, do you do anything to recharge before writing something else uh, writing something else uh, or decompress or is there any way that you uh, you relax after after writing oh what a lovely question i used to travel <laughs> <laughs> didn't we all <laughs> yeah <laughs> i used to look at my passport i uh, i have a i am very blessed and i have um lovely lovely friends that are as close as family quote and they're forever dropping in and visiting, and we hang out, and I visit with them. I am also learning to play the banjo lele. It's a hybrid mm. designed in 1916 of a ukulele, as the Hawaiians say, and a banjo. And I that's my pandemic bucket list, to learn a stringed <laughs> instrument. And I am having so that's much great. fun. I read a lot. And I garden and walk my dog, and I am also a um, amateur self-taught painter, canvases, not houses. And wow. um, I, I'm not half bad. I'd starve to death <laughs> if I tried to make a career out of it, but 
um, I got my first commission the other day for twenty dollars. Woohoo! That's excellent. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Don't tell the government. They'll take all the oh. money. <laughs> Won't tell yeah, they want half. No, no. But, uh, <laughs> yes, and I love to walk. I used to love to travel and hike. And um, one of my favorite things in the whole world was taking a cruise pre-pandemic to, the, uh, to Tahiti. Just, I cried at every port. It was so beautiful. Someone hears you now today, mm-hmm. and they've never heard of you before. It's hard to believe, but they've <laughs> never heard of you before. Um, what book would you say that they should pick up that represents you the best? Oh, what a nice question. I would have them definitely pick up The Seer, and it's on. It's where books are sold. Even in the U.K., um, you can get it on Amazon there. And if they're looking for a novel that, has real history and maybe opens up some questions that they never thought to um, voice. And if they're looking for nonfiction, I wrote a book about um, 10 years ago called What to Do When a Loved One Dies. And it is a very practical, um, not frilly, not um, using euphemisms, but a very practical book on how to handle the aspects when a loved one dies, including a pet. I have a, a master's in psychology, although I don't practice, so you guys are safe, and a <laughs> um, PhD in uh, uh, philosophy. And I'm again, I'm curious about people. Um, I am no stranger to death. And actually, right now, my husband of 47 years is in the final stages of Alzheimer's disease. So I, yes, I am including Alzheimer's disease in my newest novel. And, um, but uh, I think that what to do when a loved one dies, as Americans, we just feel if we talk about death, it's contagious somehow. And if any, if the pandemic taught us anything is that uh, we need to be good to one another and enjoy every day. Um, So now, are you part of the social media and do you have a website? Absolutely, and you asked that and I got talking about other things. Absolutely, evashaw.com. There are other evashaws and I'm sorry to tell you, I am not the supermodel or the famous DJ. Um, (laughs) I'm Eva Shaw, the writer. And uh, they can find me on Instagram, Eva Shaw Writer, and probably more silly pictures than anybody wants to see. And I also have a monthly blog for writers on evashaw.com where there are like three years of monthly uh, real nuts and bolts information on how to write and how to sell. Because when I was starting back in the Bronze Age, there wasn't a lot of information, and I just I floundered and fell into some pretty big potholes and had to dig myself out. And uh, so the blog will help anyone who wants to be a writer. The Bronze Age. So when you started writing, it was like one of those quill feathers. It was. And, it was. <laughs> me and George yeah. Washington. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Do you like uh, writing writing better or with with that? Do you do you write on the computer absolutely. now? Absolutely. You... Oh, my handwriting's atrocious. Oh. <laughs> Mine too. I write. I have to sit in my office where I am right now, which looks out onto my rose garden, and um, I live in suburbia, so I see rooftops, but um, it's quiet. I have a door to shut when there's 
friends here and I need to write, and I have to be at my desk to write. I've I've tried, uh, oh, poor me, I've tried writing at resorts and fancy hotels, (laughs) but uh, I have to be in my office. A glass of water, a cup of coffee, um, and I'm good. Speak of location, when you write a book like this in, in timing, like so the seer, um, is location really important? Do, do they actually, does the location actually become a character? And it does. It does. And especially with fiction and especially with mysteries and thrillers, the location has to be rock solid. I have to know where Decatur Street is. I have to see them walking in the warehouse district. And I have to find the name that was called the Warehouse District in 1942. Otherwise, um, I'm, I'm stretching the truth in ways that isn't appropriate, and it also puts holes in the novel. The new um, novel that I'm working on is set in Santa Barbara, and I always tell people, I didn't live in the rich section of Santa Barbara. My dad worked in a gas station back then. But I know the city well, and so when the court, the the characters um, go to Montecito back in the 19, late 1940s. I um, researched and found out what it really looked like. But I know the streets, know the location. And you're right, it becomes part of the story. The seer would not be the seer if it were set in any other city. Because right. New Orleans has a mystical mystery Kind of a, and it's not, it's a lovely city. I urge people to visit. Um, but it has a kind of crazy, wild edge to it, <laughs> sort of like whatever happens in New Orleans stays in New Orleans. <laughs> and um, I always think of the city as if it were a kind of crazy old aunt, like Auntie Mame, and wears too much ruse, too much lipstick, probably drinks a little too much, and you know you're going to visit and do scandalous things but you can't wait to get there (laughs) and that's i just i love the city for that mysterious edge and it played you're right it played into the story and the book could not have happened anyplace else Hmm. I, i would say that you know um so when you're when you're writing over this time did has the pandemic brought any struggle uh, to your writing, or it caused any problems? Well, <laughs> yeah, it gave me more time well, to I write. Mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that, that's there. But I'm just saying, you know, because, I, you know, we we haven't lived through this sort of no. thing before. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe we, you were around for the 1918 I one. Did. I did. I was. But. I was right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, I was so, by but, then. Excuse me. Oh, I was going to say. Yeah. No, so I, I was... But does it does it does it bother you when there's things like that going on and you're sitting down with your glass of water and coffee in your house and you're going to write? Does this sort of thing take your attention away from being able to write? I think it made it more focused on how, back to another question you asked, how we just need to give each other a little extra wiggle room. Um, there were so there was so much fear, so much death, and there still is around us, and so much hurting, worry, fear, false statements. And to me, that gave a deeper edge to the seer because they were so fearful of a Nazi invasion and the the rumors were running rampant. And I 
don't know if even some of them were true, but um, and sort of like the misinformation that we heard, especially the first year of the pandemic, um, and how it came about and where it came from, and knowing how insidious it was sweeping through the sweeping around the world, and yet World War Two was the same thing. And so it really kind of played on each other, and maybe it gave her gave uh, the book a little bit more intensity than it would have had if everything was puppies and rainbows and chocolate cake. Right, right. Uh, did uh, did back in 1942? Did they buy buy out all the toilet paper? Uh, <laughs> no, but it was rationed. <laughs> sure. <laughs> And I guess the first pandemic, you didn't have any, did you? No, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, that's a very good question. Where's Google when I need it? Um, yeah, where's Google? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. No, but there was there was lots of rationing and uh, working on the life story about this gentleman I ghostwrite with, and he was around in the beginning of World War II or a little before. Um, he told me stories about what they did and the victory gardens and the blackout curtains and shades on um, uh, car headlights not to draw att- attention to the city. And so I got to hear history come to life. A uh, few years back, I had the true blessing to write the life story of a gentleman who was 104 when he passed away. And he was part of the Manhattan Project, the development of the A-bomb. And he had seen the Dust Bowl. And he had been to uh, 1932 World's Fair in Chicago. And truly, history came to life for me when I got to interview this gentleman. Oh, I bet, you know. Yeah, I was. I'm, I've I've been listening to a story um, from back during war times, and I, I guess they had um, in L.A. and and the West Coast they had those uh, um, raid monitors or bomb monitors. So, you, you they would be guys walking up and down the neighborhoods to make sure you had no lights showing through your house. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and here in San Diego there was a core of people who would be on tall buildings, tall buildings at that time. With binoculars, and then um, have a way to contact local authorities if they saw any suspicious airplanes. So they had to learn what kind of airplanes, because you know it's a military, was a military hub, is a military hub, and uh, so they'd have to be able to spot enemy uh, aircraft if any came in. Yeah. Humans, very interesting species. They really are. I love people. Yeah. It's just cr- I, I love them when I'm in my house. <laughs> but not at Costco, you know, when you wait in the lineup, and then there's the guy there that won't wear the mask. And then you're waiting and, and waiting. Coughing, and it's right? just like, oh. Yeah, he's coughing, and it's my freedom, and you're and you're waiting for the manager to come out. It's like, God, I just want to go in and get my cheesecake. Exactly, uh, and anyway. I was, this morning, there was a woman walking through Costco, not a therapy dog, not a service dog, but a big German shepherd. And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah again, yeah. that needs to go in a story, don't you think? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've got a therapy chicken. You know? yeah. Yeah, it's like, My yeah, therapy python you know. wrapped. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, just therapy spider. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, 
Well, it's been it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, we're we're glad you made it. Uh, now the Thank book we, you. the book we're talking about is called The Seer, and it's called or, The Seer, and anybody can pop my name, Eva Shaw, and The Seer on in the Mystery of Google, and um, it should come up and yeah. be tracked down. They can find it via my website or on my Facebook page. Yeah, and we'll have that linked up to our site as well, so people listening can do one thank click you. and find you. And, uh, this you is know, marvelous. Um, our thank guest, you. Eva Shaw, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. I'll enjoy listening to future shows, too. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something With Media. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts or shows go to www.houseofmystery.com Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.